0: Good morning, everyone. Throughout the uh, month of August, we are studying four characteristics or attributes of God. And last week, we looked at the greatness of God. In this week's study, as you can see behind me, the focus is on the goodness of God. Next week, uh, Richard is coming to speak to us and uh, the subject is the glory of God. And then we're finishing off in two weeks' time with the grace of God. And the goodness of God is declared throughout the pages of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. And the psalmist encourages in Psalm 100 verses 4 and 5 to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 105. Verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And the ultimate source of all that is good is God himself. In the earlier parts of Genesis, in the earlier chapters there, we read on a number of occasions God speaking of his creation that uh, it was good. And God saw that it was good. Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd... Who lays down his life for the sheep. God's will. In Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Is is, is spoken of. As his good. Pleasing. And perfect will. The message that we have been commissioned with. To go out into the world. Is the gospel. Or the good news. James tells us. In chapter 1 verse 17. That every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows and when we look around at the world around us when we look at our family and our friends and our jobs and our health and our strength and our homes and and the rain and the sunshine we're reminded that all of these things are good gifts from God himself and there are many 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 more good gifts from God I woke up this morning and Actually, gravity was just the same as it was yesterday. And the sun was just at the right distance from the earth to keep us from freezing or frying. I got up this morning, I tasted the coffee, I smelled the toast, burning actually. That's because Julie made it this morning. I was able to see the blossoming garden, hear the birds in the trees, and All of these experiences and many more gifts are from God. Jesus also provides us with a wonderful image of God as a good father. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, and when we compare ourselves with God, every one of us here, every person on this earth, in comparison to God, we are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We are told that it was God who began the good work in us. And will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 That our salvation is a good work. It's God's work. And God's going to finish what he started. Isn't that good? We're also told in Romans 8.28, well-known verse, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And God can take a whole series of negatives and with just one word, convert those series of negatives into a positive. And that goodness of God also provokes his followers, provokes us this morning to live good lives. We're encouraged to bear good fruit. To fight the good fight. To do good to those who hate you. To abound in every good work. We're exhorted not to become weary in doing good. And that we should, as we have the opportunity to do good, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In 1 Timothy 6.18, we're challenged to be rich in good deeds and in 1 Peter 2 verse 12 to live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you for wrongdoing they may see your good deeds and glorify God and the reason that we meet together as Christians is to consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds Now, earlier on this week, I was thinking about, uh, this morning, I was thinking about uh, what I would be saying about the goodness of God. And maybe with an air of complacency, I said to myself, now that's a nice, easy subject. The Bible is full of examples of the goodness of God. I've just quoted to you probably about 15 or 16 of them. And I thought to myself, This week, I'll be able to prepare my message in double-quick time. Compared to those problem passages that we have been looking at in Corinthians, this is easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. It really is. However, as the week progressed, I didn't feel quite so cavalier about the subject, especially when it dawned to me that many people, many people inside the church as well as those outside the church, and probably many here this morning, Struggle over the concept of the goodness of God. And the last thing this morning I want to be is trite or superficial. And we need to be, as Christians, not afraid of asking the hard questions. Andrew Wilson, a brilliant young pastor and theologian from King's Church in Eastbourne, he writes a blog. Let me read you what he writes about this. He says, the goodness of God is one of those things we affirm happily when things are going well. And we find rather tricky when they aren't. Both my children are quite severely autistic. Until they were two, we had no real idea that anything was wrong. But somewhere around two and a half, they began losing skills rapidly. Words, songs, physical skills, eye contact, social awareness and so on. Not many children have autism, and those that do, not many have this particular type, regressive autism. We've had the devastating experience of seeing it in both our son aged five and our daughter aged three. With all the traumatic upheaval, medical, educational, marital, financial, social, and above all emotional that comes with it. And he goes on to say, It is easy to affirm the goodness of God in the abstract. It is easy to affirm it when things are going well. But when your children are going backwards on a daily basis, it becomes much harder. When the worship leader goes for a bit of call and response, God is good all the time and all the time, it can be a real challenge to squeeze out the words that you know come next. God is good singing becomes a fight between the truths you know and the emotions you feel pastoral ministry involves you exhorting others to hold on to things while you're struggling to hold uh, things you're struggling to hold on to yourself i'm sure you would agree that andrew wilson's words are not trite and they're not superficial but very real as he wrestles in being able to trust God in the real hard places of life when he knows the truth of these things, but in his heart of hearts, you know, he is struggling with the emotions that are going on here. And many church congregations, including our own, we sometimes encourage that response to the call, God is good, with the words, all the time. And all the time, God is good. And I'm sure there have been times when those words have actually stuck in your throats. Perhaps after some personal bereavement or personal tragedy, or maybe you've turned on the television this week and you have been aware of some loss of life, of innocence, a natural disaster, a hurricane, a tsunami, a flood, an earthquake, a terrorist incident, a suicide bomber, missiles that destroy a hospital, or a school. On on those occasions it may be that you come to church the following day and you have heard that call for the congregation to shout out that God is good all the time. And it's not been so easy, has it? Any easier than it is for Pastor Andrew Wilson when he struggles with two children with regressive autism. Another thing that I've noticed is that we Christians are often quick to thank God for his goodness to us when we have escaped some potential injury or when we have received some particular blessing. Uh, I received a tax rebate. God is good. God is so good I got my dream job. What of that woman who had a flat tire? which delayed her journey and caused her to avoid a 20-car pilot on the motorway, which killed 35 people. She says, God is good. Whenever a plane goes down, there's inevitably a news story about the people who were supposed to be on the plane that day, and for some reason weren't. They had an alarm that didn't go off, or they were stuck in a traffic jam, or they switched travel plans last minute. Last year, I'm sure you remember that horrifying uh, incident when the co-pilot locked his pilot out of the the cabin and he was on a suicide mission with 150 people in the plane and they crashed into the Alps. And soon after that, there was news of a soccer team who changed their travel plans because they decided (coughs) that the transfer time in Dusseldorf was too long. You see, when we hear... Reports of people who inexplicably avoid doom, we sometimes say God is good. But I think that we need care here. To say God is good when we have a tax rebate is almost to suggest that God is not good when we don't get a tax rebate. Or he's not good to everyone else who have not had money back from the Inland Revenue. Or to say that God is good because we've had our dream job is maybe to suggest that God is not so good if that dream job went to someone else. Or to say that God is good because we've escaped serious injury, our death on a motorway pileup, might even suggest that God might not be good to those who died. I know that this might sound just a little bit uncomfortable this morning, and I realize that we as Christians, we just want to show gratitude and praise to God where we can. But the point that I'm making is this. God is good, not just because that soccer team was saved or because that woman had a flat tire which inevitably saved her life or because we got that dream job. God is good, period. He doesn't just do good things, but God is intrinsically God. He is the source of all goodness. You see, if we as Christians believe that uh, in, in a God who fluctuated between being absolutely good and a little bit off his mark a little bit not not quite so good on occasions maybe he has an occasional day off or off day then there is no way that we could trust him we wouldn't know if he was having an absolutely good day or not this week i came across an interesting blog from a christian lady by the name of Heather, and her blog was entitled, Is God Good All the Time? Confessions of a Former Widow. I read this blog, and I found it absolutely riveting. Not only what she was saying, but the way that she said it. And I offer no apologies this morning to reading this uh, to you, for reading this to you now. Uh, It's long, but I found her words so real and so relevant, I felt that I just must share this with you and probably this will speak to you quite deeply. Okay. I cried through most of my 20s. Who am I kidding? I'm still crying in my 30s, but for very different reasons. Thirteen years ago, dreams were coming true. I had my college diploma in hand and the handsomest fellow by my side and a wedding ring on my finger. God is good, said the preacher, all the time, said the congregation. I grew up in a church that said it a lot. We were taught that when anyone from the pulpit said God is good, in response the congregation would echo back with exuberance all the time. As my life of ease and dreams was on its way to Happily ever after, I easily joined the echo. Yep, God is good all the time. Even if I didn't shout it out loud, I gave the pastor a good head nod. But a year later, I felt like I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz trying desperately to tap her heels together three times to get back home because somehow my life got all jacked up as a massive tornado ripped through my land. My new reality was heartbreaking. My dad, who had just walked me down the aisle, was gone. He died at the age of 49. Nine months later, I stood over my husband's casket, James. The funny one, the kind one, the one with so much potential and the one I was ready to share babies and dentures with, though not at the same time. Gone at the age of 22. And on top of that, the same canoeing accident that took my James also left its mark on my sister Holly. She experienced the same loss as death ripped her beloved husband, Scott, away. What in the world... Three widows, one family, now under one roof. I'm not going to lie, our household was a scary place. Not a place you'd, li- be likely, you'd likely want to visit. If you ever hear of a house where are three wiz- widows reside, just bring them cookies, they like cookies. I want to highlight the nine months between losing my dad and losing my husband. Go back with me for a moment to the days following dad's death. The truth is, this professing Christian, who went to church and asked Jesus into her heart, was now asking herself, Is God good? All the time. Because it sure didn't feel like it. And during this soul-searching season of my life, I stood quietly. others professed God's goodness, internally, I uh, conversed with myself. I thought I knew God. I thought I could trust Him. Why did He let this happen? If he was, is the creator of all things, if he can usher in the rise of the sun every morning, if he designed my heart to beat at a rhythm, if he created birds to automatically know how to fly, then he could have healed my father. In my mind, I could not reconcile reconcile my pain with his being all the time good. I was broken. I was sad. Indeed, I... In hindsight, I was prideful to think that he owed me a life of ease or no hardships. But if I were to be honest, that's what I believed. And my response to my father's death flushed out this belief of I knew better than God that he should have healed my father for crying out loud. He messed up. That's God. Here I was, a newlywed. I was supposed to be embracing this season of possibilities. And yet I was becoming very angry, a pessimistic adult. I was mad at God. I was wrestling with all the things I had always been taught about him. This led to bitterness. And this bitterness was seeping into every area of my life, my marriage, my relationships, how I responded to the normal ups and downs of life, how I spent money. The question was eating me up. James struggled with how to help me. He listened to my rants and then pointed me to Jesus. He was concerned. He said, Sweetie, they were American. Sweetie, you grieve as if you have no hope. It was true. I had no hope. When I placed my hope and faith in Christ, I had obviously attached a few conditions of my own to the deal. God was not silent during this season, yet I did everything I could to silence him. He still offered me his divine comfort, but I refused it. And after nine months of licking my wounds and telling God what I thought about his will, I received news that James was gone. This was my breaking point with God. I was ready to, once and for all, denounce faith in God. I didn't doubt that he existed, I was just done. I didn't like him, and didn't want to have anything to do with a God like this. Let me just stop there for a moment. I'm sure that there are many of you here this morning who can relate to Heather's feelings of anger, frustration, bitterness, confusion, frustration, questioning. Why? Why God? Where are you? How can you claim to be good and allow me to go through this? Let me read on. I remember standing alone on the hillside in Vermont. Well, not quite alone. The creator of the universe was there. I was broken and dealing with the kind of pain that makes me want to throw up even now. Today, 13 years later, I still struggle With putting words to this moment because something happened to me on that hillside. I stood before God feeling justified in all my accusations. But as mad as I was that He would let this happen, I could not deny that God was near and that He cared. James had drowned that day. And the fact was, the previous nine months, I had been slowly drowning as well in my bitterness. But on that hillside, I started experiencing new waves. God's love was like an ocean, wave after wave pulling me away from the shore, my security, my reasoning, my stability. And his rushing water, not violent, but intense nonetheless, ushered in peace and comfort again and again. Yet in his nearness in that moment spoke of a love that was real as real as the stars that hang overhead as real as the grass beneath my feet as real as the tears that fell down my cheeks he loved me and his heart was broken over my pain there were two roads before me run from him or run to him and I saw my death before me as I contemplated the first wave upon wave Grace upon grace washed over me. The God that has the whole world in his hands was grieving with me on that hillside, and mixed with the evening breeze, a still small voice spoke to my soul You can trust me. Even though I didn't like my new reality, not one bit, I couldn't fight the truth that was staring me in the face. He is good some of you are asking so you're saying that god is good yes all the time with tears streaming down my cheeks yes he is yes he is there are things that will that we will never reconcile in our minds the sin that is prevalent the depravity the disease the head shaking mind-wrecking stories we encounter every day we don't get it i don't get it But that doesn't change the truth. God is always good. I walked away from that hillside different. Sad? Absolutely. Still distraught? Of course. But I was free. The anger I had been nursing like a bleeding wound was no longer holding me. He was holding me. I, maybe even for the first time, understood a fraction of his love for creation And I was humbled. My choice to bow to his lordship. Come what may, with no terms and no stipulations, ushered in a peace despite my pain. Like I said before, I cried through my twenties. Now I'm crying in my thirties. I'm a crybaby. So what? I'm not ashamed. Dwelling on his unconditional ever-pursuing, never-changing, patient, out-of-this-world love makes me weepy. I said some horrible things to him and about him. He forgave me. I wanted nothing at all to do with him. He sought me. I was chained. He freed me. You can call me a crybaby, I don't mind, because my heavenly daddy has whispered, The same thing to my heart. Cry, baby, cry. You a joy came in the morning. I have turned your morning to dancing. I have clothed you with gladness. There will be a day when your tears will be no more. Your faith will be sight. But today, cry away. Cry for the hurting. Cry for the lost. And cry knowing you are loved beyond measure. My love is like an ocean without a shore. Go and tell others about my healing waters. So take it to the widowed, the cancer patient, the adulteress, the uh, sexually assaulted, the fatherless, the betrayed, the lonely, the addict, the weirdo. And that's my immediate family. And the message is, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. As Heather said, There are some things that we will never, ever reconcile in our minds. Those stories that we encounter every day, we don't get it. We struggle to make sense of it. But that does not change the truth that God is always good. There are times when God brings us to a place when we actually get some understanding of why we have been through the the trials and the pain and the suffering that we have. Remember the story of Joseph after all of those years of slavery and suffering. When he had been sold by his brothers, he began to see his trials in a new light. And he said to his brothers, in Genesis 50 verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. His brothers' actions caused all of those years of separation in the family, the pain of bereavement for his father, False accusations against Joseph and eventually prison. And yet, throughout this ancient story, there is a repeated phrase. Do you know what that repeated phrase is? Some of you are whispering it. And God was with him. Isn't it funny that we just see God as with you only on the good times, the high times, the times of great blessing. The times when you get a tax rebate. But God was with him every step of the way, through every low point, through every hurt, through every betrayal. God was with him. I'm sure there were times for Joseph that when he was going through the times of difficulty, that he struggled to believe that God was in his trials and probably said, God, where are you? Why is this all happening to me? But there came a time when he could see more fully. That God is a God who works all things together for good. To those who love him. Having said that. I also believe that it's possible. That we will never discover. What that trial or what that suffering is about. Joseph in one respect was fortunate. Because he got several years on. And he looked back and said yeah. I can see what God's plan was in all of this. But some of us. We'll never ever, on planet earth that is of course, because one day we're going to see him face to face, you know that. And we will know as we are known. Wow, have we got some questions. But you see, it's also possible that we will not know what this trial or this suffering was about. That thing which has rocked the foundations of our lives That which is put into question everything that we have ever believed. How should we respond? I believe that we ask for his grace. Which he will give to us. Ask him for the gift of faith which he will give to us. And to trust him where where we are not enabled uh, to see. You see at those times of doubt when we are tempted to question the goodness of God. What we need to remember is the cross. On the cross, 2,000 years ago, hung the purest, most holy, most loving, innocent, entirely innocent person who has ever walked this earth. His death was a form which was the most cruel of all deaths, crucifixion, invented probably as the most cruel form of execution ever in the history of the world. He was put on that cross by cruel men, evil men. Makes no sense. And yet in this one event of history, we witness the goodness of God more than any other occasion in the history of the world. On the cross, we see his goodness to the Roman soldiers, to the Jewish authorities, to the followers of other religions, to atheistic professors down through the century, they, the idea that God becoming flesh, and not only dwelling among us, but ultimately dying on a wooden cross for the sins of mankind, to them it's sheer nonsense. And you see at one level, at one level it is sheer nonsense doesn't make any sense. Yet as Paul wrote in that magnificent chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes that Christ crucified is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You see, the trust that we exercise in God for our salvation, which God brought through the cross, is the same faith and trust that we need when we are troubled personally by those things which don't seem particularly good and when we are struggling to believe in the goodness of God. Heather said that there were two roads before her either run from him. Many people do that. In those real tough times in life and those times when we are full of doubts or questions that's where we go. We, we run away. We move, uh, remove ourselves from Christian fellowship. We turn our backs on God. The other road is to run to Him. In Psalm 46, the psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. In his commentary on Psalm 46, Charles Spurgeon Wrote, God is good, not because he causes things that seem or feel good to happen in our lives, but because in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm could ever be. God is good. I do think that we need to stop talking about his goodness only when we get some unexpected pleasant thing that happens to us or when we miraculously avoid some danger God is not good because we avoid danger God is good because when the storms of life hit he comes closer to us than that storm ever could he holds out his loving arms he doesn't change he doesn't falter he doesn't quit he doesn't leave And no matter what, he never, ever, ever let's go. Therefore, today, our invitation is this. Psalm 34, verse 8. Test and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge, or the woman who takes refuge in him. Such a key verse. And in a sense, you know, some of us here today in this place, there are those, those two roads things that are going on in your life you just want to blame God you want to sulk and be full of self pity you want to turn your back on God and go your own way please resist the challenge there are two ways that you can go either God's way or you can go uh, down a road of self destruction the choice is yours but the one thing that you know is when you choose God, you will experience his love and his compassion and his tenderness and his goodness. You will experience him through those storms. You will experience him as a God who is closer to you than the person sat next to you or the storm itself. And I just want to encourage you this morning with that. There may be others in this place today that you are very unsure about the whole Christian faith end of you're not really sure if it has anything to do for, it, do with you not sure if it has anything to do with your life and in a sense those choices are exactly the same it's either a matter of going your own way running away from God or going God's way and I often say it that God does more in our lives than we could ever imagine ourselves And when we give our lives to him. He does some wonderful things. And that message is for you today as well. It's not just for those who are going through the storms of life. But that message is for you as well. I'm going to pray in a moment. And I want you, I believe that this word this morning. Will have touched people's lives in different ways. I have no idea what God the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. But God knows and you have an idea of what's happening as well this morning and I want you to respond not publicly not coming out the front but just quietly in your heart and I just want you to say yes Lord that spoke to me in this way and I am choosing this morning I am choosing to go your way yes ok let's stand together shall we Let's pray.